Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Now that spring is here, it's time to focus on self-care and revitalize your personal care routine. Now through March 26, head in store, shop for all your favorite personal care essentials, and earn four times rewards points. Shop for items like Crest toothpaste, secret deodorant, Old Spice deodorant, or Gillette razors. Offer expires March 26. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details. Welcome to the Clubhouse with Shane Bacon, a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to the Clubhouse with Shane Bacon. I am your host, Shane Bacon. And a fun one today, Michael Bamberger, author of The Second Life of Tiger Woods, which came out yesterday, joins to simply discuss Tiger Woods. What better during this time in human history than to have a book come out about the most interesting golfer, maybe athlete, in the last 20, 25, 30 years? It's a, it's a great read. It takes you through not just the 2019 Masters. Of course, that would be in professional golf, his second life. But takes you through simply Tiger as a human being. And what's been different over the last two or three years versus how he was when he came out as a professional and all of the things that have changed, all of the things that have played into his life that have led to those changes. An unbelievable read. I urge you to pick it up, order it online, or just get it on your Kindle or whatever device you read on. I loved it. Couldn't put it down. Knocked it out in a couple days. I think you will enjoy it as well. If you're a fan of golf, which you probably are if you're listening to this podcast, and if you're a fan of Tiger Woods, which maybe you are if you're listening to this podcast, you're going to enjoy the book. So pick it up. Bamberger was great. Always uh, love chatting with them. First time on the podcast. And uh, and yeah, we went a lot longer than maybe I thought we would because we had a lot to talk about. Hopefully you guys are staying sane and keeping yourself safe and being smart during this unreal time in our history, I know it's uh, it's been there have been days that have been testing. There have been days that have seemed to kind of roll by, and all the while we are at least in my household trying to follow all the go- guidelines that have been put out. And I hope you're doing the same thing because we can get through this as a group, as a society, as a country, as a world. I know we can do it. I'm trying to stay positive. Hopefully you are as well. One last thing before we get to Michael: if you haven't checked out, get a grip. That's my new, I guess new, is new still fair to say? My quota, I just did quote new. I did air quotes. My new golf podcast with PJ Tour winner, Max Homa. Max and I have had now 10 episodes of Get a Grip. We try to do one once a week. 
Of course, the early ones were a little bit more current golf specific. The last few have been a little bit more all over the place, but we're trying to have some fun with it. We have started to do reader questions and we have started to do some lists like favorite nicknames in sports history and and all of that. So we're trying to have a little bit of fun and pass the time and give people something to listen to, of course, as quarantine continues on. That's enough for me. Let's get to Michael. And we welcome into the clubhouse for the first time, Michael Bamberger, uh, author of Now Out, The Second Life of Tiger Woods. Of course, Michael, the senior writer at Golf Magazine and Golf.com. And Michael, I want to start with this. They talk a lot about the smaller the ball, the better the story. I've always felt the more famous the person, the tougher the profile, because we know so much about them. Why would you want to take on a Tiger Woods profile, a Tiger Woods book? That is a great question. Uh, uh, Gary D'Amato, uh, writing up the book uh, for one of the Wisconsin uh, golf or his own uh, Wisconsin golf publication, said there have been millions of words written about this guy. Do we really need eighty five thousand more? <laughs> and it was and it was funny that he said that because I've ri- I've written a million words about this guy, and I wondered myself if we need eighty five thousand more. And I guess the answer is there's a lot of different ways to answer it, but one concise answer would be there was a very definitive biography you probably read it Shane uh that came out two years ago uh just called Tiger by uh, Jeff Benedict and Arm Contain it's a really fine book uh and then as a matter of fact I would say it's a starting point if you haven't read any books about Tiger I would say that book and and the and the Haney book to me would be the first two books that I would read but and it's a big but a lot has happened since that book came out and uh, so this book really covers a two-year period in Tiger Woods' life that is extraordinary on an athletic level and on a human level. Well, that leads to one of my next questions. You know, you, you mentioned Haney, the big miss. Of course, the, the, the Tiger book that you referenced first is a deep, deep dive into everything you'd ever want to know and probably some stuff maybe you don't about Tiger. When you decided to take on this project, and I know you're a reader, I know you obviously pay attention to that world, how many Tiger books did you make sure that you had read and finished before starting your project? Well, zero, because, uh, you know, I read the Benedict book and I read the Haney book and I've, and I've read some of the other books. So, you know, I'm, I'm well aware of what, of, of what they have, but once I started writing my own book and even started thinking about writing my own book, I didn't pay occasionally. I would definitely go back to the Benedict, uh, Katayan book because they had so much information and just via the index but in terms of sitting down and absorbing somebody else's take on tiger i didn't go there at all because i didn't i didn't want it in my head so tiger woods this is a guy that has been in your life for the better part of 20 years if not longer maybe 25 years if you will if maybe even into the early junior ams you know when he was doing stuff we hadn't seen before the title of your book is the second life of Tiger Woods, I feel like that could be taken in so many different ways. I, I've I've watched Tiger's life change dramatically, day to day, night to night, headline to headline. This is a guy that everything that has happened personally, professionally, we have absorbed over the last 20 years of his professional career. You're calling this the second life. I feel like the main focus of that title is simply about him professionally but as I, as I dove deeper and deeper into your book, I felt that the second life of Tiger, at least the way you presented it, was his personality. I mean, this is a guy that came into our lives a stone 
faced killer on the golf course. And now he's a guy that will answer questions that does certain things. I loved to the very end of your book, you said you'd mentioned a, a note Greg Norman had handed Tiger and Tiger never said anything about it, about the win. And one of the last few pages of the book, you said, you know, Tiger saw Greg and thanked him for the note. It were though there were those little tidbits that made you feel like the second life of Tiger wasn't anything about his golf. It was all about how he's presented now and how he approaches life. Well, yeah, that's a very good insight. I would I would agree with all of that. Uh, you know, as you know from having read the book, my, my take on the idea of the second life of Tiger Woods actually having a starting date in my mind uh, and in my writing. In other words, you know, I know this will sound self-absorbed, but this is what authors often do. My take is that his second life began the day he was arrested on that horrible uh, Memorial Day night in uh, in 2017. And uh, he had to, he was really at a crossroads. Uh, I have a personal take on the sex scandal, which, you know, in one sense was, you know, a, a, a tragedy for Elin and, uh, and, and, his, and his family life, but none of our business. Uh, a lot of people think that, oh, when he came back from that, went to rehab after that, came back from that, that that was maybe, you know, a new chapter in the, in the, in the life and times of Tiger Woods. I don't really think it was. Uh, I think that, I think the real moment of reckoning came on that Memorial day in 2017. Uh, and I think he had to dig deep and find out who he really was. So all the things, Shane, that you just talked about expressing more gratitude, uh, in, in interviews, uh, being more patient with fans, uh, being more engaged with, uh, uh, officials and tournament sponsors and, and other players. Um, I think that all is a function of him digging deeper into who he really is and, uh, and shedding some of that, you know, stone cold killer that you just described and, uh, and finding a humanity that some of us really would never have, might not have ever known really existed. When you rewatch the 2019 Masters, and we'll talk a lot about that because that was the victory that that weaved itself through your book was his his 15th major finally getting that Masters in 2019. You know, the last obviously major coming at Torrey Pines when HD was barely a thing. I mean, when you we rewatched it a couple of weekends ago, you know, it's a lot different in 08 than it is in 19. But I always, you know, when I close my eyes and think of Tiger Woods and I think of Tiger Woods, the golfer, you know, I go to moments, the huge fist pump at Sawgrass when he was playing in the amateur. And I think of, you know, the celebrations, throwing his hat at Bay Hill, you you know, the two fists up in the air to get into the playoff with Rocco. The one thing that I continually noticed that Sunday at Augusta was how that none of those things happened. It was it was almost like he had a full cell phone battery of of ability that day this is what i have in me i can't waste any of it because i've got to get my cell phone to the end of the day with battery power and then it all came out when he finally won on the 18th green but everything about that sunday was just a little bit different i mean threesomes going off early you know it's tiger he's there but he's chasing and he's chasing a guy that faced tiger in a major championship the year before and wasn't scared it is so interesting to see this quote unquote new tiger and how he approaches these huge moments versus what we'd seen for the better part of his career. All right, Shane, now, now you're making me mad. I mean, it's, it's bad enough that you're such a good golfer. You're such a handsome guy, but now you're coming up with analogies that are way better than 
<laughs> well, then, then I'm a guy that always has a dead cell phone battery, so it makes total sense well, to me. That's that's perfect. I would completely agree with that. He was playing. I mean, j- just to get it down to the mechanics of Sunday at Augusta, everything you said, I completely agree with. Uh, but he was playing chess. Now you're not playing chess that moment. You know, you're on 17 T and you got to drill one. Uh, that's pure athleticism. But everything else is chess, and chess requires tremendous reservoirs of uh, of patience and uh, and and intellectual output. And then you got to go when it's time to go. So I think you're right. He was pacing himself all the while. He knew he was the guy with the four coats, and and none of those guys had any, and that gave him a big advantage. And that mistakes would be made uh, by others. And if he could avoid making mistakes, uh, that he could get to the house with a little bit of charge left in that battery. And as we saw, uh, there was a very little left in that battery. And luckily for him, uh, it didn't go to a playoff because who knows what those fresher, younger players might have done uh, in, a, in a playoff. Yeah, you you talked a little bit about that. You mentioned his fear of that bogey, bogey finish at Augusta. We saw it against DeMarco. You know, he chips in and things go crazy. And this goes back a little bit to the energy, right? That was so much energy he used in celebration and firing up the crowd, him and Stevie high-fiving, kind of missing the high-five. But then he bogeys 17 and 18. It was a little bit like Kenny Perry and all of a sudden he's in a playoff and now he's got to refocus, reclick in. And of course he won that Masters as well. But I'm with you. He did not want any extra holes. He wanted that thing to end when it ended. I want to go back to the book just early on. You talk a little, I mentioned Greg Norman already. I'm not sure I ever understood how close Tiger in his life and his career followed what Norman did in his life and his career. Well, how clearly, how closely Tiger followed. Oh, you, are you talking about the mechanics of hiring Steve Williams? Yeah, and just, going it to just seemed, and, there was a lot of, there were so many similarities with those two guys. And then he, and then he hired Norman's lawn guy. <laughs> and by the way, to call him a lawn guy is such an understatement. It's ridiculous. It's like art, he's an artist with a lawnmower. Or, or estate managers, maybe it might be the right term. I'm not, I'm not even sure. Yes, well, I mean, start with Butch Harmon. Start with the fact that Greg Norman was the best player in the world, drove the ball on a string, had all the shots, pretty much, uh, and had Butch Harmon as his teacher. And then uh, it was the number one player in the world. And every which way that Tiger could supplant the guy, and it goes back to what you said earlier, Shane, about being a stone-cold killer, he was going to supplant him. Uh, so uh, teacher, uh, state residence, approach to practice. You know, Butch says this all the time, or he used to. Uh, you know, the hardest working student he ever had was Greg Norman until he de- until he had a developed a relationship with this teenage golfer, Tiger Woods. And Tiger Woods had more capacity for work and more ability to absorb information than even Greg Norman. Uh uh, it's kind of weird because, you know, it, you know, Greg, of course, only won, you know, the two British Opens as majors. He's sort of gotten short shrift in it. You know, he's got such a big personality, he's sort of gotten short shrift here. But before there was Tiger, there was Norman. Yeah, I mean, and, and we always hear, you know, I, I'm I'm 36. I didn't have a chance to watch a lot of the Greg Norman prime days, but he was the type of player that dominated with his distance, dominated with his ball striking. Brad Faxon's told me a story that, that he was playing, I think Brad and, and Norman were playing in a practice round, and Brad, you know, famously not a great driver. The golf ball was spraying it a little bit all over the place. And I guess Norman went up to Butch and goes, 
is this guy a pro? And Butch goes, yeah, he's beating you by two. You know, Norman was the hit it down the middle of the fairway, hit it 320 yards, had that look on his face all the time. But the difference is, of course, being that Norman, when it seemed like the breaks were going to go his way, they didn't. And with Tiger, the breaks always, always went his way. And it even happened in 19. I mean, he's got two guys. He's got a guy in front of him in 2019. They're all chasing the same goal. And all these guys rinse it, and Tiger's the guy that plays it to the middle of the green smartly on 12. And that was really the story of that championship. Yes, although sometimes people forget about what a mess Molinari played a 15. Bad first shot, bad second <laughs> Fair enough. Shot, I, I, did, I did as well when I was reading the book. That is all true. J- just a quick uh, funny note, uh, since you work in TV, you'll especially appreciate this, Shane. When, um, when Harrington won that second Open, that was at Burkdale, correct? Right. And uh, and he was, I believe, playing with Norman in the fourth round. And Norman was newly married to Chrissy Everett. And he, I think he would have been, I'm sure he would have been the oldest winner of a major. Could he have uh, pulled that off? And his putting stroke is spectacular. And Faldo's doing the commentary. I don't know for whom, but uh, I know I heard him say this. Uh, and, uh, and he looks at uh, Norman's putting stroke and he says, it's not fair. <laughs> it's not. There's absolutely no yip in it whatsoever. A little, a little bit of what we are we are seeing and continue to see with Tiger. One thing, and again, one of my favorite things about there's two things I love about your riding style. And I mean, I, I'm just going to say it. I, I I continually believe you're one of the best, if not the best, that covers this beat in the entire world at what you do. So reading a book that you spent obviously a lot of time on was a treat for me. But two things you do that are amazing. One is you're just a perfect wordsmith. Let me just give people an example. You were talking about Tiger. And last year at the Masters, and on Sunday, correct me if I'm wrong here, but on Sunday before the Masters, so that's the drive, chip, and putt day, the only people allowed on the big course, if you will, are members and past champions. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. So Tiger was playing an afternoon nine-hole practice round, and you wrote this, and I just loved it. I, I, screen, I had to take a picture of the page. You said, the PGA Tour produces a mountain of stats under headlines like strokes gained putting, and strokes gained ball striking, what nobody can measure is strokes gained thinking, strokes gained preparing, strokes gained imagining. And you you just felt like what you were seeing with Tiger, he just had a couple of wedges and a putter, and he was out there going over a golf course that we all know he understands and has seen more than anybody in the field, maybe outside of Phil Mickelson, yet he's out there the Sunday before the Masters just just using everything he can, using all the time allowed to prepare for what he knew was a chance at another major championship. Well, Shane, first off, I want to thank you for those that extraordinarily generous uh, comment about my writing. I really, really appreciate it. And then, uh, and you, you, you know this, but other others wouldn't. Any writer of nonfiction gets a lot of help, and I've got a lot of help. And uh, <laughs> And and two so two things that come to mind uh, when you're talking about that. Uh, now, of course, I wasn't out there walking with Tiger Woods and play those nine holes. But you know, between talking to, a little bit, to hearing Tiger talk about it, a little bit hearing Joe Acava talk about it, Faldo, who was out there, Terry Holt, Bernhard Langer's caddy, who was out there. So they all these sources together helped me get a deeper sense of what it was. But Faldo was the most helpful because because he saw it through a champion's eyes that he understood what I might not have understood had I not talked to Faldo, uh, that he was getting in the mood, in the mood to play that, uh, that golf course. Uh, so you do get, so, 
so I I do want to acknowledge all the help that a nonfiction writer uh, uh, gets, whereas the fiction writer is you know often just sitting in a room, although he or she gets a lot of help too. And then another thing is I have no idea if the story is apocryphal or not, but even if it is, it conveys so much. There's a famous story about Jack Nicholas going to the driving range of the practice tee, and uh, and there's a ball sitting there, and he stands over the ball with no club, and he just looks at the ball. And then he walks back to the clubhouse. He says, yeah, I'm done for the day. And the point is, you know, so many. Have you ever heard that one before? I have not. And, you know, it, it doesn't sound true. It doesn't sound like Big Jack, but <laughs> but it does make it sounds a little bit more like Hogan. But it does make the point that um, that's at, at that level, when you've got the physical parts basically worked out, then it's how prepared are you mentally for what you want to do to the golf course? How much do you have a blueprint of what it's going to look like? And Tiger is the king of this. And, um, and one, one example that, that comes to mind is, was now let's see, he's won two opens at the old course. So this, I, I'm not remembering the year immediately. No. Okay. Not 2000. That was his first. So the so second time must've been Oh five. Okay. Thank you. So Oh five when he won the second one and, uh, and it was a clinic and he came into the, to the, and every, every, he came into the depressed and everyone's leaning in and he starts the sentence with, I'll tell you what, and people are leaning, <laughs> all the writers are leaning in. It's like, Oh, Tiger's going to give us a revelation. And this is, this is close to what he said. Before I went out there today, that was the best warm obsession I've had in years or, you know, the best warm obsession I had in my life. And everyone's like, oh, man, could you possibly give us something we can use? But I remember distinctly thinking it was boring, but it was truthful. In other words, he had played the golf course in his mind and played the shots that he thought he was going to need in the, on the practice tee. And then it was just a simple question of, of executing. It's not so simple, but it is a question of executing it. Uh, that's how his mind works. And uh, it's not colorful and it's not romantic like Seve or Trevino or, you know, whomever else you might uh, put in that group, but it is Tiger. And the proof of the pudding is what? 82 tour wins, including 15 major championships. So it's pretty hard to beat that. Yeah. The, the focus of this book in terms of golf is of course the masters last year, but I, I guess I'd maybe either, I, I don't remember how important it was, or I have glossed over it considering what else had happened in 2018. But Something I felt like you brought up well was the 2018 Honda and just the way Tiger played that week. It seemed like that was what the world, the Tiger fans, the golf fans that follow this guy, that was really what we were waiting for. Yes, and the uh, that was the special week, that that Honda tournament. I've always enjoyed that Honda tournament and going all the way back to Eagle Trace days, but uh, there's something about it. But so the, Well, you, you, I mean, Shane, you have, you're such a knowledgeable golf person, uh, but, you know, for, for more casual golfers, they're, they're awed by the driving game always and, and, and some of the other aspects. But at, at Tiger's level, the thing that really gets people's attention is the ability to hit irons on the face, the distance you want to hit them. Because they're going to hit them left and right. They're, gonna, they're, they're not going to be too far off. They're, they're, that part is kind of mechanical. But, but to hit it the, the length you want to hit it, you know, as, as, uh, as Johnny Miller used to say, you know, in my prime, I could distinguish between 176 and 177. Uh, well, that's going to leave you with a makeable putt. Uh, so that, that was the first thing I saw uh, at, at that Honda tournament, aside from some other cultural things that were extremely interesting. But just to fast forward there for a minute. So of all the, you know, you know, whatever, 200, you know, roughly 80 shots that he played or fewer than that, uh, 
at Augusta last year. One of the ones that stands out most in my mind is the second shot five iron on Sunday from the right side of the fairway on 15, uh, 240 yards, draw shot, piercing, you know, when I say draw shot, I mean like three yards of draw, fat of the green, it's going to take that slope and go down there. And the absolute worst score this guy's going to make is four. Right. Well, four is huge. Four is way better than seven. You know, four wins you the tournament. So, you know, now Tiger talks about the uh, the tee shot in 17, blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, the the purity of that. Now, that's that's a bread and butter shot form. It's not really even a hard shot form. But there aren't that many people play. And then another quick one that comes to mind. I'm just blanking here if this was the first or second round. I think it was the – well, I just can't remember right now. But the first or second round, he drove it in the uh, green side – excuse me, the fairway bunker on the left side of 18. And, you know, there's a lip there. It's nasty. It's straight up a hill. And he's in there, I think, with the seven iron. And he and there were so few. I mean, you're a really good golfer, and you're a really fit, fit person. And you know, I don't know your your game well enough to know, but but the number of people who could actually advance a golf ball from that trap to the back right of the green from where you could two putt, it's a very short list. So the skill set of hitting an iron flush, the distance you want to hit it and need to hit it, um, is off the charts. Yeah, it, you know, that story brings up your point of, again, it, you said it to start, it was like he was playing chess on Sunday against everybody else, and maybe he's been playing chess against everybody his entire life, and we're just starting to realize how good he is at chess, but I think it was Hogan, it's a story of Hogan playing 15 at Augusta with an amateur, and he laid up, he was a whole bunch under par, he laid up, and he knocked it on the green and made birdie, and the amateur asked him why he didn't go for it. And I think Hogan stone faced, of course, as he was said, I didn't need Eagle, you know, and I, I just felt like that's the same point here. Tiger would have loved to make three there, but he didn't need three. You know, he's I, I just want to make four. I'm going to hit the exact shot I need to hit. And the distance control thing with him, his entire career, you know, how people say it's your it's your favorite pros, favorite pro. I feel like Tiger's iron game is everybody's favorite pros favorite aspect of any golfer in the history of the game was is Tiger's continued ability to be able to hit iron shots exactly where he wants them. Well, that's well said. I would totally agree with that. And now Butch, were he on the phone, I think would, would, would add this to the conversation in 97 at 21 in his first major as a professional, he wins the masters by 12 shots. Now, any normal person, 999 out of 1,000 is going to say, okay, I've got this. All I have to do is hold on to what I have, and I'm going to win for a long time to come. And what Butch Harmon said and what Tiger acknowledged to be true, or I'm not sure what the order is. It might have been the other way around, was that I am really good at golf, but I've got a distance control problem with, you know, I think it was, I think it was really the wedge, but let's say eight, nine wedge sandwich possibly. And, uh, and I've got to, if I'm going to dominate for a long time, I've got to get better at that. And so who would think that you would want to do make any changes to the swing that just allowed you to win a masters by 12 shots, who would make and it, and it just gets to the thing that we're talking about. It was distance control with the shortest clubs. Uh, uh, it, th- that was really what he worked on 98, 99. And then we know what happened in 2000. Yeah. I loved a part in the book you, and this is just the golf dork in me. You love, you dove into the champions dinners at Augusta over the years was that information always made public? Was that something that in the 90s and in the late 80s, was that information that 
they would tell the media and the public? Because now, you know, you you see the, the pictures posted on social media and they obviously aren't scared to reveal that information. But if it wasn't public, how much digging do you have to do to find out what meals were served? You know, I, I'm not sure, Shane. I think that menu has always been released. Uh, but uh, I don't want this to come up, uh, off by being, I hope this won't sound immodest, but I would say the mechanics of how the dinner works, I don't think, I don't think I've read that anywhere before, uh, you know, typing it up for, for, uh, for this book. And I'm just, you know, as, as I'm sure the same is true for you, I'm fortunate to have relations, you know, trusting relationships with a lot of people who have, uh, who have won that, uh, won that tournament uh, and are at that dinner. So I, I was able to get a good sense of what that dinner is like. Yeah, it seemed like, and I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to lean on you here. It, it seems like VJ's dinner. Is kind of the consensus goat of the champions dinners. Is that fair? I think it's only for the foodies. Uh, okay, okay. And I don't think, and I don't think there were that many foodies among. I don't think Jack Nicholas is a foodie. I don't think Gary Players. <laughs> I think they're like, give me a piece of. You know, Gary Players like, bring me the cod no sauce, and Jack's like, you know, bring me the prime rib with the bernays. Right. Uh, but you do have you do have some. I think uh, you know very much uh, a loft the ball and Seve uh, before he died, of course. Uh, 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 Sergio, uh, are, um, are very much, um, uh, foodies and, and they, they appreciated BJ's effort. I didn't know that BJ was, but, uh, but evidently, evidently he is, but yes, they do. They, yes. People do talk about that VJ dinner and the Thai chef he brought in from Atlanta. So as a writer, as somebody that's laying out a book like this, I know you're doing hours and hours and hours of interviews, but something that I feel like specifically to you, I love. I talked about a couple of things. This is the other thing is how you'll sprinkle in quotes from something completely non-golf related throughout the story to help hammer home your point. Let me give an example because this is one of my favorites. You were, uh, you were talking about winning and the Masters and, and you're talking about prep and how it's not the sexiest thing in the world. And you gave a Warren Buffett quote about how he invested in brick and other durables and you said, quote, Try to contain your excitement. And it was just such a perfect quote for the moment. How are you grabbing these quotes? How many quotes do you have in your brain, Mr. Bamberger? Well, they, they float around. But, <laughs> but let's, uh, let's make a nod to uh, uh, my acquaintance slash friend, and I think maybe your boss, uh, uh, Mark Loomis here. Yes. Mark Loomis is the producer of, you, you help me if I don't have the title correct. Uh, Mark Loomis is the producer of golf for, uh, for the Fox broadcast. So he handles all the USJ events uh, that you see on Fox and Shane works with him very closely. If I may speak for Shane and, uh, and I've had the pleasure of working with Shane, uh, with, well, with Shane as well, but, also, but what I meant to say is Mark, Mark's mother is a legend, legend. Right now in her early, in her early nineties. Her name is Carol Loomis. Now, many would not know, but many would know that Carol Loomis, among many other things, is Warren Buffett's ghostwriter. So when you see some and was a was a longtime writer for different Time Inc. magazines, most most notably uh, uh, Fortune, business, you know, the, the Time magazine of, of the business world, Fortune. And anyway, uh, so some of these legendary lines like, uh, you know, this year we invested in cement, try to contain your excitement. I don't know specifically about that line. But uh, Mark's mother, Carol Loomis, 
fingerprints are all over some of these uh, some of these bucket <laughs> lines. So uh, uh, so that's where that one comes from. And uh, yeah, they do. They float around in my head. They're not written down anywhere. But uh, I go to a lot of movies. I read a lot of books, and and uh, I do retain things that. Uh, that amuse me or, you know, one of, one, another one of Buffett's things is if you, now th- this is something only a really rich person can say. Uh, if you see an investment <laughs> you like, don't take a child's portion. Well, that's great if you got a few billion dollars to invest. That's uh, right. I you, would buy Apple you can dive into right it a little now. easier. Yeah, that's right. When, when you don't yeah. worry about what your debit card amount is, he probably hasn't checked his debit card statement too much over the years. Yeah, exactly. I was very impressed at one point when I learned that Warren Buffett, Warren Buffett's housekeeper came bi-monthly, twice a month. And, you know, well, ours came once a week. So I said to my Christine, you know, isn't it funny? Warren Buffett's, <laughs> I'm glad our housekeeper comes once a week because uh, it makes everything nicer. But anyway, we digress. We're going to take a quick break and be right back. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. As Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying, Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? That's my first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> <laughs> bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be That's my game. <laughs> Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break. And consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services. I want to get to Tiger and something you pointed out that I never knew and I had no idea about, and now it makes total sense. We knew that Tiger in majors 
when he had one hand around the trophy going into the weekend, he basically won. I never knew how solidly he played on Saturday, specifically against whomever he was paired with. You framed it as moving day Saturday. It was almost like a match play day for Tiger. And his record nearly flawless against the person next to him that day. He will kill the person he's playing with on Saturday. Well, look, if Tiger, if, if Tiger, if Tiger is contending, uh, that means the guy that he's playing with on Saturday is contending as well. Tiger doesn't want to have to worry about that guy come Sunday. So he will bury that guy. Now I've asked Tiger about this and he, and he denies it, but you know, Tiger keeps his methods very close to the vest, And I don't blame him at all, all for that. Uh, I don't know if this is an insight or not, but one of the things that I picked up about Tiger really only in the writing of this book was that Tiger mastered match play. He won three straight U.S. juniors, as you know, and followed by three straight U.S. AMs. It's completely unheard of that you could do that for six straight years. So he came onto the PGA Tour having figured out match play golf. Well, match play golf is boxing. Knock the guy out that you're playing. And, and tournament golf, of course, is very different. But what I think Tiger was able to do, I mean, they're almost different games. Uh, I think what Tiger was able to do is hold on to that match play mentality. I'm going to bury this guy on Saturday so I don't have to worry about him on Sunday. And play the chess required of tournament golf where you're playing the course and you're playing the, the whole field at the same time. So, yes, it was very useful for him to beat those guys on Saturday. And, and yes, the, I mean, and it's not just, you know, sometimes absolutely destroyed the guy. And by the way, if you can do it, you know, one time, you know, if you do it at the 2006 uh, PJ championship, wherever it was, and then you're going to face that guy six years later on a, on a Sunday. Uh, well, he's got him in the back of the mind. Like this guy is no fun to play with when all the lights are on. Yeah. Tony Finau, you, you said you talked to Tony Finau a few months after the masters and he said he was on the range and he couldn't, get out of his head that Tiger Woods was a couple of spots, you know, and he was going to play with them in the final round of the Masters. This is the thing that he'd always wanted to do. And again, as as you said, Earl would always tell Tiger, let the legend grow. The legend's just sitting there warming up and you're thinking about him. He's not thinking about you. Right. And, uh, and, and I think it's great that we're at a place right now where you have people like Tony Finau, uh, Justin Thomas, Rory McIlroy, Jordan Spieth, uh, Francesca Molinari who are actually willing to tell you a little bit about their internal lives because it makes the game more interesting for us. And of course, Tiger famously was not really willing to do that. And that's okay. He, you know, it's, it's his business and his approach and uh, 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 that's up to him. But, 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 but what, a, what a truthful thing for Finau to, uh, to acknowledge and along the same lines. And, uh, and, and this is in the book, uh, uh, which reminds me of a quick segue. My, my friend Gary Van Sickle, uh, former, former colleague at Sports Illustrated, will always say, you know, when a, when a writer's trying to promote his book, he'll say, well, as I say in, pregnant pause, the book, <laughs> you know, it's appalling, but anyway, but I do say this in the book, the book, uh, that, that Molinus, you know, wakes up on Sunday morning and he's getting dressed and he knows what he's going to wear. And it's like, you can't put on, it's pre, you know, it's probably dark. It's probably pre-dawn because they're going off uh, on Sunday morning. And you can't not think about how is this going to look with a green coat on. You don't want to be thinking it, but you're a human being. Of course. Now, Tiger Woods, he's got four coats. Well, he's got one coat, but he's got four wins. He knows what that whole deal is like, plus black and red and green. He knows what that whole thing looks That's like. That's right. He, he's not worried about a clash. <laughs> 
he's not worried about gosh. He's he's so he's so he's in the club forever. Molinari's got the passing thought, and thank you, Francesco Molinari, on behalf of this writer for sharing with me so I could use it. So, um, but what an insight for what it's like to be in that moment on Sunday morning trying to do some. By the way, and this is the guy who won the British Open a few months earlier or a half year earlier. Was it Weiskopf or was it Miller who apparently had that thought cross their mind on 15 on Sunday before they hit it in the water when they said, man, a green jacket's going to look good on me? I don't know that one. It could be either. But I know I know Weiskopf said on 12 when you stood on 12 and those fans are close to you when you're on the par 3 12. He's like, I, I felt I felt naked over my ball. You know, and you, <laughs> you know, and here's the best dressed guy on tour with, you know, the perfect posture and the perfect sweater and the cashmere this and you know just a beautiful dresser and i felt naked so uh yeah they uh it, it's great that they're willing to mil- admit their frailties i think one of the things that draws us all to the game no matter what level which we play is those frailties are basically the same for all of us and i think that's why you know so many of the golf writers play as well and, and the broadcasters as well and uh to some degree even though the stakes of course are way way different but uh, but what we do and what they do are there are a lot of similarities, a lot of differences, but a lot of similarities as well. Yeah, speaking of similarities, one of the f- best debates in all of sport, I think, and of course the best debate in golf is Jack versus Tiger. You you said this early in the book, and I I guess I'd never really thought about it. You were talking about their accomplishments in the major championships. You said two men with three career Grand Slams. So Tiger and Jack have won the Grand Slam three times over. Nobody else has won it twice over. So that's a good example of how much different they are. And then late in the book, one of the last things you talked about were these two. You said Tiger Woods is the best player in history. You said, and I, and I believe Jack is the greatest of all time. So you're, you're kind of on both camps there. And I feel like I'm in the same camp as you. Dominance, his ability to win. I feel like Tiger eclipsed Jack while Jack obviously has what Tiger cannot reach yet. Right, Shane. You, 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 we're, we're, we're looking at this the, uh, the same way. Uh, to me, Jack, you know, to be the greatest, you know, Ali used to say, uh, you know, I'm the greatest of all time. Well, who really knows what that means, especially in boxing, because you've just got the one guy that you've got to beat, and, you know, uh, the, it's hard to compare the uh, generations. But what does it mean to be the greatest of all time? What's... I would say it's the stamp you leave, you know, on your sport. If we're going to, you know, define it just athletes in this conversation, and I think Jack's stamp on golf is is unmatched. I think Tiger's record is unmatched in part because, and I know a lot of people disagree with this, Jack beat a tremendous group of crusty, tough men. You know, from Hubert Green and John Mahaffey, you know, who aren't often part of the conversation, of course. You know, Billy Casper and Arnold and Johnny Miller and other true legends uh, of the game. Uh, Tiger beat fewer of those kinds of personalities, but the population, the world population of super elite golfers that Tiger had to be is vastly bigger. Uh, if you look at uh, now, what does Jack have? He's got five PGAs. So when he won those PGAs, well, he's beating a bunch of American golfers and a bunch of club pros, a bunch of club pros who could on their best four days together could never come within five or six or 10 shots of Jack Nicklaus on his 
four best days or even his four average days. So in other words, he's got so much of that field beat before, you know, the, the, the first shot is played Thursday morning. So Tiger is beating a much deeper, deeper pool. But for overall impact on the game, I don't know how anyone could top Jack Nicklaus because he, to me, is the true heir of Jones in terms of the values of the game that transcend the actual playing of the game. And just to finish up this one thought, Arnold's career is overstated in terms of what he did. And it was a tremendous, tremendous career, but he didn't win the career grand slam. Um, uh, he didn't win all over the world. Like, uh, like Gary, like Gary players done, but Arnold's overall stamp on the game is immeasurable because he lifted the game and he lifted people. Uh, he, uh, he made the game better. And that, I know none of this is definable, but it's deep in me, my belief of what constitutes greatness. And that's why, among many other things that I could add to that, but, but that's why Jack is number one and Arnold was way up there for me as well. A wild nugget in the book I found out about you. Nine rounds of golf with Trump. Who would have ever thought it? You're almost to double digits. Well, I'm, I'm, uh, I've got <laughs> I'm at nine and a half. I don't know if I okay. put that on the phone. That's close. One day, it's closer. What, 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 one day we, uh, we played 18, and then he went out for an emergency nine at the West Palm Beach course where he's got 27 holes, uh, which abuts the prison where Tiger actually was detained for a while after that, that, that horrible night. Well, what happened there, Shane, the only reason that uh, Trump wanted to play golf with me was that I, I was writing up uh, his golf courses for Sports Illustrated. In other words, I had something he wanted, which was a good write-up for uh, about the courses and its owner for uh, Sports Illustrated. Uh, so he wasn't going to let me far out of my sight. And then he, you know, he's a very he's a very congenial golf partner. We're not going to do a whole political thing here, but no. just to limit it to what it's like to play golf with Donald Trump, he's a lot of fun to play with. It's not golf as you and I know it. And I'm a '90 shooter, but you know, if I told you I shoot '93, I probably shot pretty close to '93. Right, right. You know, that's not the case with Trump. You know, because Trump plays like millions do, uh, just a very sort of casual golf. The only problem is he said, my blue shot 68 at Bel Air. You, know, you should put in your story. Well, he didn't shoot 68, <laughs> but he's he's a capable golfer. He's fun to play with. But anyway, that's how I played nine and a half rounds of golf with uh, Donald Trump was because I had something he wanted. Yeah, I had Rick Riley on last year about his book. If you want to deep dive into the into the Trump golf world, you can listen to that podcast. I just, I, I, was, I was shocked and surprised. I mean, I know he obviously has... His life has has been in and out of golf for years and years and years. But I was like, man, that's that's a lot of rounds. Of course, most of them, if not all of them, I'm assuming, happened before he was president. You you wrote a piece. And the last thing I want to talk about is I, I love this piece. It was after, of course, the passing of Kobe Bryant. You wrote a piece and it compared Kobe and Tiger in their careers. Can you just expand on their similarities you know, kind of like uh, hat tipping back to the points you were making in that piece, right? Well, you know, they're 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 similar in age. They're they're transformational because uh, they Kobe had appeal way beyond. There were basketball. There were people who had the most casual interest or no interest in NBA basketball who were drawn to Kobe, to Kobe's style, to Kobe's uh, sophistication with language. Uh, uh, to, to Kobe's openness. Tiger's different personality type uh, from Kobe. Uh, but Tiger also was uh, uh, played a very sim- uh, similar role. He 
he had tremendous appeal for the way he carried himself and the way he played the game uh, to people who really had uh, passing interests or even no interest uh, in golf. Uh, and, uh, and they dominated their games. Uh, they played through injuries. And they also had, you know, if you have a six-year run in golf, it's tremendous. And Tigers has been 20-ish. Uh, Kobe, the same. I mean, if you have a six-year NBA, NBA career, it's tremendous. What did Kobe have? Close to 20. Right. So the longevity is astounding. Uh, uh, some of the off-court and off-course problems are, are, are broadly similar. Uh, the commitment to education, the commitment to their to their own children in the face of the pressures of of being a public person and having missteps as we all do in life. Uh, there was just a lot of similarities there. And I have the feeling, and I don't know this, but just listening to the little that I've heard Tiger talk about Kobe, I don't think there was an everyday closeness at all between the two. Of course, Tiger worships the, worshiped the Lakers uh, growing up. Um, but I think they probably didn't really need to be uh, because uh, uh, their understanding of each other's life uh, was on, on such a deep level and such a perf- really a profound level. All right, last thing, Michael, I'm going to ask you, if you retire tomorrow, what three majors, and I know this is putting you on the spot, but what three major championships on Sunday as you're sitting in front of your computer preparing to write, were you most excited about writing the story? Which three events, and I'm assuming 2019's probably going to land in one of the three spots. The weird thing about 2019 and because you know me, Shannon, I know you'll believe me, but most people won't, but that's okay. I was rooting like crazy for Francesco Molinari to win that tournament. And people would say, <laughs> that's crazy, because if he, if Tiger wins, that's great for your book. Yes, it was good for the book that Tiger won, no question about that. But Molinari is my favorite player in the game right now. I love the way he goes about his business. And also, I'm looking for moments where character reveals itself. I've said this before, so I hope it doesn't sound too rehearsed, but I, I deeply believe it. And had Tiger made a double on 18 and lost in a playoff, we would have learned a lot more about Tiger's character than, than through winning. And uh, so that would have been, I would have been very uh, drawn to that. Having said that, definitely I put, uh, I put the 19, uh, the 2019 masters, I put the 97 masters uh, uh, on there for lots of different reasons. One of which was uh, just a room, a house full of uh, SI writers, all with different assignments uh, writing it up on deadline, pulling all nighters and trying to capture something original about uh, about an event that had legs that went and reached that went way, way beyond golf. Uh, that was very meaningful. And then because I really grew up on him, uh, uh, Watson at Turnberry, uh, uh, that really springs to mind because Watson handled the defeat of that playoff to Stuart Sink in the 2009 Open Championship. Um, <laughs> he handled it with more grace than, than I did trying to write it up. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I, and I remember leaving the tent, uh, I remember leaving the president, uh, Turnberry and it was pitch black. I mean, it was nearly, it was nearly actually was not pitch black. So I'm saying it because it was, it was nearly dawn, which comes very early, uh, in Scotland in summer, you know, probably about what, four thirty or five in the morning right. and trying to just trying to get that, uh, were, were, were you at that event, Shane? No, but I, I I lived over there for a summer, and I I remember that it. I always said it never got dark. It always got midnight blue, but it never yeah. got actually dark. You know, you never felt yeah. like the sky was black. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so those those three spring to mind very quickly. But you know, 
the, the imagination runs wild on these questions because, you know, if you read about the game, as I know you do and I do, you know, well, what about Sowers and making that two in 35? You know, what about Arnold in 58 launching? You know, so there's things that exist only on YouTube or only on highlight reels or only in our imagination from reading that, you know, are part of, uh, are, you know, they're, they're swirling around in my mind too. But for events where I was actually there, th- those three those three would be probably the first thing that spring to mind. Yeah, you know, I, I've been, your point about some of the, the majors we maybe forget about sometimes when we talk about the greatest ones. I've been during all of this where there's no sports and nothing on TV. I've been diving into old final rounds of Masters. All those Masters are on YouTube. I've been trying to watch the ones that maybe we don't consider greatest masters ever i watched the kenny perry one a couple of weeks ago i want to get into the zach johnson masters because you know tiger had a chance to win that one as well and that was one of the tougher modern day masters we've ever had and as you watch these ones that again the 97 masters might have 7 million views on youtube and you look at some of the other ones and they have a hundred thousand views on there but they're great in their own regards and they're fun to roll through they're fun to see which moment changed what was the you know, 2019 12th hole of the 09 Masters. And I've uh, I found them really revealing because it's easy to forget about the great moments there. My last uh, my last thing I want to ask you, again, putting you on the spot, but we have free time right now. Any other golf books beside yours and the ones you've penned over the years, any golf books that you would push people towards, of course, after they read The Second Life of Tiger Woods? Well, really, if if you've never read a book on Tiger Woods, I would I would probably start with the Katane Benedict book uh, because it'll give you a scope of his life. I find the book semi depressing. Uh, Shane, what what was your experience? Uh, yeah, reading it? a little bit. It was it it just it just bummed you out because it was it was so much about again the the person that is Tiger and the demons that exist. And 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 this bubble, my life is so. I can't relate to it really because it, 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 it's such a self-absorbed life of just golf and me, me, me. And I think what's interesting what's happened since then is he's, he's, I think, broken out of that to a, to a great degree. And how he actually did that will lead to the third book that I would put ahead of my book, except for it's not written yet, which would be if Tiger ever writes his own book, which, you know, he says he's going to do. And I hope he does do it. Cause I think it'll be a, I think it'll be a, a great exercise for him. Uh, but you know, if, if someone's new to reading, books about golf and they love golf, uh, they're welcome to write to me and I'd be, I'd be happy to, to, uh, to give a listen. It'd be a little easier to do if I was uh, at home looking at my bookshelf right now. But, uh, you know, any of the Jenkins books, George Plimpton's The Bogeyman is one of my favorite books of all time. Golf in the Kingdom was a huge hit for me and did, Shane, did you have, did you read it? Did you yeah, like it or not un- like unreal. it? Yeah. You touched on it late in, late in, in second life. And I, and I love that you yeah. kept bringing that up. Yeah, it's a monumental book to me. It doesn't, you know, a lot of people don't register. And that's, you know, that that's the reading experience. There are people who will, you know, take a look at this book, you know, that I just wrote. And they'll just say, eh, I feel like I know this already. And they'll somebody say, oh, this is eye-opening. So, you know, the reading experience is so individual and people bring their life uh, experience to it. It's very hard to say. But, you know, to go back to the thing you, that you first said, and I, I know the quote from George Plimpton, but you said it right from the start. And I'm not sure who really is responsible for it. The smaller the ball, the better writing. Well, golf has such a rich literature um, some of your listeners will know, but, but some won't, the names Herbert Warren Wind and Bernard Darwin, who is Charles Darwin's, I think, I think nephew, uh, maybe grandson, but I think nephew, uh, you know, long, well, long before your time, Shane, a little bit before my time. And, 
so you can have a lot of fun uh, in this period uh, getting lost in golf books. And Shane, I really, this whole time that we've been talking, except for you know, a, 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 the occasional laps, this has been a pleasure. We've been on the phone now for getting close to an hour. And just to get sort of lost in golf and not thinking about CVD or any, you know, if we think, if we're right. talking about 19 right now, it's not, uh, it's not two numbers at the end of a virus. You know, it's the hole where Arnold would, uh, you know, uh, down a couple uh, with his buddies, <laughs> Dow Finsterwald afterwards. But anyway, it's nice to have this break. And I'm not apologizing at all in, you know, in, in, in this interview or any other time I talk about the book because we need and we deserve a break from this relentless news. And, you know, my own take on it is that we're getting closer to good news every single day. Uh, but, uh, of course we are. And, um, and that golf gives us, we who are serious golfers, I've written this, but, uh, so I don't want people, Oh, this guy just came up with this is pretty good. But, uh, but I think we are <laughs> golf requires tremendous reservoirs of patience and planning and actually teamwork to get through something. You know, if you and I go around for game of, a round of golf, and let's say we're playing, you know, in a match or at our, do, do you play at Whisper Rock Chain or where, where do you play? Play at Phoenix Country Club. Oh, wow. Uh, is Jessica Marksbury's husband, is he a yeah. pro there? He's, he still sees there. Yeah, great. Unbelievable guy, Paul. He, uh, he's, uh, he's got the accent. They just had a second, they just had a second child and he's still out there. Uh, he's still out there making sure everything's running. You know, I mean, there's still golf to be played in this state, at least for the time at 9.55 a.m. on Tuesday. I know everything's yeah. changing minute to minute, but as of right now, there's a, there's golf to be played. But, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a fabulous, fabulous golf course. Uh, yeah, well, so so Paul's wife uh, is my colleague, uh, Jessica Marksbury, one of the great people on this world. But anyway, the point being is that, that the very things that draw us to golf um, and part of it is playing by the rules and doing our part, you know, leaving that bunker in better shape than when you walked into it, uh, are the very things that'll get us through this, uh, you know, through this un- unfortunate episode that we're in, but we, but we will get through it and I will have golf, uh, before too long here. As I let you go, we have nothing going on in terms of sport. As you said, we're sitting around just passing the time with whatever we do to pass the time. If it's a puzzle, if you're playing chess, if you're starting a new hobby or a new book, You're a man that has not ventured into the social media world. Are we getting closer to social media? For for, for this reporter, no, not at all. (laughs) I thought maybe Simon and Schuster would push you towards it with the book coming out, but uh, you've always avoided Twitter. I'm impressed. I did say, yeah, I have no interest. I did say to one of my bosses at Sports Illustrated before I left Sports Illustrated, went to Golf Magazine and Golf.com with my friend and Colin Allen Allen Shipnuck and and others. uh, and that was a lifeline given where Sports Illustrated is right now. And uh, uh, I want to thank Howard Milstein every opportunity to get. Jack Cook's his business partner who bought Golf Magazine, Golf.com from Sports Illustrated. But anyway, one of my former bosses said, uh, he had me on the phone for something. And I said, I said, look, if you're thinking about firing me because you know I'm not doing any social media, <laughs> could you let me know ahead of time? Because I will start if that's what I need to do to keep my job. But I don't really want to. And the guy's like, no, I understand. You're not on it at all, and Shipnuck's on it too much. It's a perfect balance. Yeah, well, he says he's taking a page from from Jaime Diaz and me of uh, you know wanting to do less of it. Uh, uh, but no, I do. Uh, I just like to express myself in other ways. I, I guess is you get the point. But I'm 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 glad for people who do get something out of it. And I think any way that people, I'm not negative on. I think 
I know I think people need to communicate with one another, and I think that changes over time. And I'm a big user of email, and people are, you know, my email's right in the book, or, you know, it's very available online as well. And anybody who writes to me, I pretty much write back to everybody who writes to me because uh, I, I love connecting with people who connect to the written word. Your email address is literally in the back of the book. You can check it out. The Second Life of Tiger Woods, Michael Bamberger. I appreciate it. Read the book. You'll love it. It'll bring you back to a happier time in our lives when the Masters was on and Tiger was battling it out with some other superstars and you weave through his life. And it is a crazy, crazy life at 44 and we can only hope to see more and more of it. I appreciate the time, my friend, and uh, we'll catch up soon down the road. Shane, I appreciate the time. I mean, you've done me a great favor here. Give me a little break and uh, and letting me talk about the book. Uh, so I appreciate it. So thank you very much. We're going to take a quick break and be right back. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying, Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? My first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> <laughs> bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be That's my, my dance, <laughs> Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break. And consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. A big thanks to Michael Bamberger for his time. As I mentioned to start, please, if you're a reader, if you're someone that likes golf and likes golf books, check out The Second Life of Tiger Woods. I promise you, you'll enjoy it. Thank you all for listening. I appreciate that as well. Send me a note on Instagram at the Clubhouse Pod if you're at home and you'd like 
a Clubhouse Pod sticker. If you want one of those, go on Instagram at the Clubhouse Pod. Send the note. I'll send one. It's the least I can do for spending an hour with me every couple of weeks or so. Hope you guys have a safe and healthy and smart rest of your week. And we'll be back next week. I've got a few of these in the can already. So hopefully there'll be more consistent clubhouses as we go on. That's my hope. Nothing else to do. My studio here is at my house. That's where I record. Let's keep them going. Have a great week. The Clubhouse with Shane Bacon is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Now that spring is here, it's time to focus on self-care and revitalize your personal care routine. Now through March 26, head in store, shop for all your favorite personal care essentials, and earn four times rewards points. Shop for items like Crest toothpaste, secret deodorant, Old Spice deodorant, or Gillette razors. Offer expires March 26. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details.